And welcome into the latest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, another week, another day closer to pitchers and catchers reporting <clears throat> is Matt Sells at The Salesman on Twitter. So, Matt, how is everything going for you? Uh, going pretty well. Pretty well. Pretty fun Super Bowl weekend. Um, but now it's, uh, you know, heads down and uh, headed towards uh, – MLB season and NASCAR season because the Daytona 500 is this weekend. Um, so yeah, so those two sports getting going about the same time should be uh, basically the real start to my year here is, is what I is what I take it as. You're gonna be like that GIF of the I don't remember what it is, but the pounding of the keyboards almost frantically um, just because there's so much to do, so much to type, so much to get sent in. But you know, it's the the beauty of the season, I guess, right? Because you can't complain because once baseball kicks off, we will literally, <clears throat> until July, have very few days of nothing sports-related because baseball, as we know, is on you know darn near every day, which is amazing. Yep. Um, it's it's kind of like the, uh, you know, beggars can't be choosers type, type thing where I love baseball and I love NASCAR and I'm happy both are back and then I can't be like, oh, well, yeah, it'd be awesome if there was like some more off days because that's, that's what the off season's for. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's a pretty good way for me to mark the year. <laughs> is is how I look at it. Absolutely, and you know, of course, the draft guide is still out. Content is still pouring out. It is still free. That has not changed. So head over to fantasyalarm.com and access your copy. You can get your copy if you want. I guess if you download. You know, some of the articles is PDS. You can get your hands on it, but get your access to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide over at fantasyalarm.com. Once again, it is free. Tons of great content coming out there. I continue to put out articles on catchers in second base about, you know, this past or this most recent one was in terms of depth at the position. And Matt, we've talked about catcher being a rather sneaky position in terms of depth, but we have it covered all positions, tons of great content, whatever your league is. You're interested in DFS content. There is stuff for that. If you play in Dynasty League, there are articles for that. So much in the draft guide. Once again, it is free. But Matt, I want to talk to you first. They, we had a trade. Um, I was away this weekend, saw the alert on my phone. And two, I don't want to say former big names, but it seems like in years past, the names have carried more weight than they made maybe do now in 2023. So talk to me a little bit about the Marlins and A's trade that we saw over the weekend. Um, yeah, it was, I agree with you. It's hard to, um, define. like I saw the alert come across as two former top six picks. And it's like, okay, but that means less in baseball than it does in basically any other sport, uh, to be honest. Um, yeah, so J.J. Bladey. Is headed from the uh, Marlins farm system to Oakland, and in return, uh, Oakland has given up on AJ Puck ever being anything for them. So he's headed back to Miami in uh, basically a one-for-one -one switch here uh, for players who look. Puck has had MLB time, hasn't necessarily amounted to much. Um, so it, it's hard for me to judge based on this because, um, yeah, you know, injuries and um, and whatnot have uh, have sapped him of any real 
time in the majors. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what Miami can do with him because I think we all agree that the stuff may still be there if he can just stay healthy. Um, and they, you know, they, they took another lefty pitcher from from Oakland last year when they got Jesus Lazardo. Um, so perhaps they're thinking they can work wonders with him, with Puck like they did with Lazardo. Maybe I don't know. What's what's your view on this on this trade? I mean, let me start with the the Puck side of things. I think that one is more enticing because we've kind of seen what puck can be when healthy is he going to start no when you look at roster resource he's one of not two not three but not four guys with the cl next to his name so potentially he could be in the mix as a closer for miami who might not be they might be sneaky good this year i kind of like what they're doing there in miami so maybe puck can work his way into save opportunities or maybe at least splitting some of them on a per inning basis his raw stuff is phenomenal or can be phenomenal should i say if miami can work the little magic with him keep the strikeouts up let him be effective on a per inning basis i think he's a reliever that i'm going to have some shares of this season again i for at this point as if we're recording here on february 14th is aj puck the closer i can't definitively state that nor would i put my money on that but later on in drafts I mean, why not take a chance on Puck, right? What if he does? Because here's the thing. We talked about it. Once you get past the top, maybe even 150 picks, you're looking for a reason to buy into somebody. Yeah. There is enough to like with Puck to see. And even if he's not the closer, if your league values holds, the strikeouts are good. He's routinely a 10-plus K per nine guy. And the stuff is there. He just really has to stay healthy and be in a system to put it all together. And we've seen Miami do it a little bit with pitchers before. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no defined closer in Miami as of yet. I'm not sure there will be this year. They may just Agreed. run with a hot hand. Um, so if he can stay on the mound, that's enough for me to be considering Puck as a flyer late in drafts, especially if you're in a holds league because a hold is basically being brought in in a safe situation after the starting pitcher comes out of the game, right? Um, so hard for me to say no to that. Um, but don't go, don't go too crazy. Don't be like, oh, he's a lefty. Jesus Lazardo was decent in Miami. Puck could close. Miami's offense is only so-so. So there's like, you know, maybe we're looking at 25 total saves from Miami. Don't be like, oh, Puck's going to get like 20 of them. No, I think he gets a handful tops. Um, but that's enough to intrigue you as a late-round flyer, right? Yeah, and since January 1st, I mean, Puck's going off the board at pick 442 with a min pick of 232. I mean, 232 may be a bit lofty for me, but, I mean, once you get past about 250, 265, I mean, why the heck not? Do you not look at a guy like AJ Puck? Because at that point, outside of right now, let's just let's assume that ADP stays true. Everybody goes around right where they're going, which I know it's not how it works. But I mean, other guys outside of pick 400 typically, and I'm making an assumption, aren't exactly all that close to save opportunities. Puck may only be one injury, not to him, hopefully, fingers crossed, 
one injury away from somebody else getting hurt to him stepping into that closer role for that team. So a lot to like with Puck there. Now let me ask you about J.J. Blade because he was a another kind of big-name prospect, and he's he's progressed through the minors. The Some of the numbers aren't exactly going the way that you quite like. Like the power last year, 20 homers in 85 games in AAA, solid. However, that 228 average and 27% strikeout rate, not so much. But he did post a 16% walk rate. So that is interesting. So what is Oakland kind of getting here with J.J. Bleday, other than the fact that they're trying to run out this lineup that I'm going to read to you in a little bit that I just cannot believe a major league team is running out of lineup with these players in it for 2023? Like, I mean, yeah, Oakland's lineup is heinous. Like, it's, it's a good word for it. It's atrocious. Um, we can keep going through SAT words, I guess. Um, he theoretically helps it. I mean, but at this point, anybody might help that lineup. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think Miami has, was basically like, well, there's like a little bit of power there, but the question is, is he actually going to be able to make enough contact on a regular basis to – um to to realize that power like he came up for uh, about a third of the season last year in Miami and sure five homers in a third of the season paces out to about 15 right four steals paces out to about 10 to 12 in a third of a season the problem is he hit 167 like that's not great and his k rate has gone up every single stop in the uh in in the system right it went up from high a which was 19.2 then it went up from that double a 21.6 then it jumped at triple a to 27 now it was 28.2 in the majors that's not sustainable um and now he's going to the least friendly hitters park in baseball um that's it's not all that appealing to be perfectly honest. And I don't want to be, you know, rude to the 25 year old kind of post hype prospect. I think we can call him that at this point, but I mean, what are we re realistically looking at best case scenario for 2023? Like is best case scenario, like 15 home runs, but like a 215 batting average. I mean, even last year he hit 167, but his expected batting average is only 190. I think he'll be above the Mendoza line, but can we get, really anything in terms of fantasy value from Bladé this year because he hasn't really run a ton in the minor sure he had four stolen bases last year but I mean at what point I know he's going late and he's not overly pricey but at what at what point do you get to that mark where a guy who hits 210 with 10 to 12 homers and four to six stolen bases is helpful for your team outside of like NL only or AL only formats that value OBP over batting average maybe yeah, I mean, maybe, but he's like a niche guy. It almost seems like for this year. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be certain people who are excited because they remember the name JJ Blade from being a prospect, and then not actually look up, um, uh, not actually look up what he's done in his career. <laughs> I should say, because on the service, if I told you JJ Blade. Be like, oh, I remember when the Marlins took that guy as part of their like restocking of their outfield a couple of years ago in the draft, right? He was a big enough prospect and he's kind of 
had his name thrown about, and then he came up for a third of a season last year. You're like, ooh, five homers, sweet. And then you go, oh, maybe I should have looked a little deeper. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's a niche guy. I don't particularly have any interest in joining that niche in in, <laughs> in drafts, though, is the problem. Yep, I think I'm right there with you. Now, talk about a team with uncertainty in the back end of their pen as well. Arizona made a move that, in reality, I think I like a good bit. In terms of fantasy, I don't know how I feel about it. So Arizona inked Andrew Chafin to a deal after he spent quite a few years in um, Detroit. And now when you look at it, you know, we just talked about Miami having four potential closers per roster resource. There are five for Arizona. One would have to think Mark Melanson maybe starts the year as the guy who will get the majority of the opportunities, maybe. But at 37, he's no he's no spring chicken anymore. So Chafin, very good lefty. I believe it's his slider is his wipeout pitch. That's what he can use to get batters out tough on left handers for the most part. Does he have a path to saves? And if so, do you think it's not before long that he emerges as the ninth inning guy for Arizona, or do you see closer by committee all 2023? I mean, he has a chance at saves, right? Like, he's gotten saves previously. Not like he's never been the lockdown closer. Like, he's had six saves in the last uh, three seasons, right? Mm-hmm. So, um who knows? But this is a little bit of a re- like he's rejoining Arizona, right? He came up with Arizona, was with them through 2019, and then left, and then it's kind of traveled around a little bit. And look, the last couple of years, his peripheral peripherals have been pretty good. Sub two eight five ERA both years. The FIPS on those are just over, th- you know, right about three in that case. Strikeout rates are decent walk rate has been very good um doesn't really let the ball leave the park although Mm -hmm. pitching in detroit it'd be hard to give up home runs um so i think he's got a path for saves i'm not sure that they go with a lockdown closer they tried that last year in mark melanson a little bit and that didn't exactly go (laughs) go their way um the one thing that's in his favor is that lefty closer can be a tough matchup for hitters. And oftentimes you don't see a team do that because they don't have enough lefties in the pen to really just dedicate uh, one guy as the closer. But in Arizona's case right now, assuming that all of these guys make the roster, Chafin is the third lefty in that pen, which means they've got two others that they can use for lefty-on-lefty game situations, which are harder to do now because of the three-batter rule, obviously. Um, But that plays in his favor, as does the fact that he's had pretty good numbers the last couple of years. So there's a chance. um, Again, this is kind of like a um, if you're drafting right now, I might stay away from the Arizona bullpen until very late, and then you just – take a shot because if you if you're listening to this and go well they just said that Chafin had good numbers and and he's pitched for Arizona before and all that and you go okay I'm going to take Chafin as my number two closer well what happens if he's not a closer then you just blew an earlier draft pick than you needed to 
on a guy like Chafin because Ginkle got some saves last year. Mantiply got some saves last year. Melanson got saves last year. You know, and, uh, who knows if any one of those guys actually is the closer or they don't just turn to, you know, another guy that we don't really see that we don't really see coming because they have a couple of dudes coming up in the in the minors that could do it. Um, I know they don't really want Dre Jameson to be a reliever, but what happens if they call up Dre Jameson to be a closer? Yep. Possible. Not likely, but possible. So I right now, if you're drafting early, I am leaning towards staying away from the Arizona bullpen until we get a little bit more clarity. I think that's the best way to attack it because, you know, if you, you want to try to be the smartest person in the room, sure, you could say, well, there's great value right now and I'll jump on it here and sure, but if that doesn't work out, you are just now the, dare I say, maybe not the smartest person in the room and everything backfires. Yeah, exactly. Then all that happens is you waste a draft pick that doesn't actually bring you any, doesn't actually bring you anything. So, and what you're, and what you're, like your risk versus reward in this scenario is that you, oh, I think I'm going to be the smartest person in the room. Let's look at the bullpen. Yeah, I think Andrew Chapin's going to emerge as the guy for saves. You take him for that. And really, er, I, neither of us seem to be in full agreement that Arizona is ever going to lock down one singular guy. So now basically all you've done is push up a guy who maybe gets the majority of the save chances or maybe even only splits them. So, I mean, let's be, let, I know that the projections aren't everything and and whatnot but right now if you go to roster resource on fangrass they have the five guys listed as closer uh, with, with a possibility of getting saves right the fewest saves for one of those guys is four the most is ten so they're all within you're talking about splitting handfuls of saves here right now not that projections are gospel we're just saying all of these guys are projected for between 60 and 64 innings pitched. All of them are projected for, well, let's say almost all, because Melanson doesn't really strike a whole lot of dudes out. But four of the five of them are projected for between 62 and 68 strikeouts. So even all of the projection systems are telling you, they don't really know what's going on there. There's guys that could all stand a chance and if it winds up being just a matchup by matchup or hot hand guy and they split it three ways which teams have done before like we've seen teams do this with saves which irritates the bejesus out of everybody right if if you're telling me that let's say there's what 18 22 about 30 or so saves that they're projecting for Arizona. And you wind up with three dudes with 10 saves a piece. Does that really help you? No. Yeah. So it's a little tough for me to get on board with any one particular. Now, not saying they have no value. They do. But don't draft one of these guys assuming you're getting 25 plus saves out of them. Yeah. Because that's not the case. Well, let's let's see let's see Matt Sells at the Sellsman on Twitter get a little bit animated with this one because this one is fun. So uh Red Sox president of baseball operations came out on Tuesday, aka as the day we're recording, saying that he wouldn't personally bet on Adalberto Mondesi being ready for opening day. So 
there's one thing we're going to get to, which just <sighs> is the tip of the iceberg for the Boston offseason. But then, just to make matters more fun, reading an article here uh, from MassLive.com, and Alex Cora was talking about Adalberto Mondesi, right? Happened to say that he was Xander-esque as far as like tall, strong, and big legs. And all I can think of is, boy, you are in for a massive disappointment once you see him actually start playing and step in the batter's box because he is not Xander-esque in the batter's box. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't think I've ever once looked at Bogarts and Aldoberto Mondesi and gone, hey, those are the same dudes. If they had different jerseys on, I wouldn't be able to tell them apart. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, if he was that strong, where all the homers go for Mondesi? Like, I, it's just a weird – like, Alex Cora's had a weird week, too, because he just called the bases pizza boxes. Yeah. I don't know if you saw – He's at, he's having a hell of a time right now. I don't know if you saw that quote, but he was he was talking about how he agreed with the rule that, that uh, enlarges the bases, which, by the way, I'm out later – Today, hopefully, there should be an, a draft guide article about the rules changes that are coming in 2023. Uh, but the bases are getting bigger, in case anybody didn't realize. They're going from 15 inches up to 18 inches on all sides um, for safety concerns. And then there's also some hope that maybe it'll lead to a little bit more steals because guys will have a little bit more room to finagle where their fingers and hands and legs get you know, make contact with the bag. But Alex Gore was saying, yeah, I agree with it, but they look like pizza boxes. I'm just like, okay, but 15-inch bases kind of look like pizza boxes too. Like, what? how big of a pizza are you getting that the jump in three inches now reminds you more of a pizza box um, than the 15-inch ones? I, it's a very odd thing. But back to the Alberto Mondesi, yeah, they when they traded for him, I think they came out and said that they were hopeful that he'd be ready for opening day. But keep in mind, they they traded for him to replace an injured Trevor Story. So you let Xander Bogarts walk because you don't want to pay him for some inane reason. And then you say, okay, well, we're fine. We got Trevor Story, who then apparently had a monster injury that nobody on your medical staff knew about until mm -hmm. after the season. And to the point where he may miss the whole season, there's some speculation that Trevor Story may not be ready for the entire season. Mm -hmm. I think that's less likely. I think he misses the first half. Um but then you go out and trade for an injured guy? Like, Mondesi's literally been injured for like three years at this point, right? Yes. I mean, you can just ask Royals fans. They haven't seen him. Like, this is why we got Nicky Lopez in the first place. Like, all of the debate about, well, we, we, you know, why is Nicky Lopez there? When it, you know, he came up because Mondesi was hurt. He couldn't play. Um, And he's always been hurt. He's not been on the field very much in like two and a half seasons. So I, it's not a shock to me that he's not going to be ready for opening day. I just don't know what the Red Sox are doing at this point. And I'm sorry, Boston fans, I truly am because baseball is better when the Red Sox are competent and they don't appear to be competent right now. Um, 
Yeah, I I I don't know. I, I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to do with them and saying, yeah, we the guy we traded for isn't healthy. Well, I mean, I think everybody knew that. Yeah, and it's just I mean, the speed's legit. Don't get me wrong. We all know that. And, I mean, Cora, in one another quote that they have there, it says, quote, we still have to work on the offensive side of it, no duh, just to make sure he gets on base at a higher rate. But this guy, I saw one season, his on-base percentage was 308, and he stole 24 bases. So the stolen base aspect is real. It feels like we're grasping for straws for compliments for this guy. I mean, you're going to call him Xander-esque, and then you're going to say he has to work on his offense. Well, I'm sorry. Didn't Cinder Bogarts not have any concerns about his offense? I mean, like, the last time that... So, Alderbert DeMondesi has played more than 100 games once. Once. Now, in fairness, if you want to go based on percentage, he played 59 games of the 60 games in 2020. Yep. Okay, so that we can count as a full season in terms of percentage of games played, the sheer number wasn't there because they only played 60 games in 2020. So in reality, if you really want to look at it, he's only played one full season and it had to be less than 60 games. Yeah. Right? Because 102 is only 60% of 160-something games, right? Something like that. And his strikeout rate in the majors has never been lower than 26.5%. Yep. And it's been over 30, one, two, three, four, five different seasons, regardless of how many games were played. Yeah. And I mean, when you get to the Xander S quote or the that mentioning of it later on, too, another quote, the offensive part of it will help him. He can bunt whenever he feels like. So we're excited about it. They don't sound excited about it. You're really going to bunt? They got rid of the shift and now you're going to bunt? I mean, listen. I'm, I'm, I am starting to lose faith in Alex Cora as a manager, to be perfectly honest. Like, if this is your game plan, is whenever he gets back, he can just bunt? Wh really? Which I'm sure that no defense is not going to expect. I mean, he's... Or at least be ready guy. for it. He's a speed guy. That's what you do with speed guys, is you, is you have them bunt. Like, Trey Turner got injured that season because he bunted because he was trying to bunt for a hit and broke his finger like the problem with Mondesi is his hamstring so now you're going to put him in a situation where he has to actually leg something out oh my god Alex Cora yeah they're in trouble and, and by the way if we're talking about Xander-esque the like Bogart's had a max of 15 steals in a season and that was back in 2017. He hasn't stolen more than eight bags in a year since then. Okay. In terms of homers, he's topped. Uh, Mondesi's high number for homers in a season was what? 14, 14 in 2018. So Bogarts has topped that one, two, three, four, five, five times since 2016 which is five out of seven seasons. And he almost topped it in 2020, only playing 56 games. Yep. Not to mention he's hit 288 or better every year since 2018. And 
Mon disease never hit better than 276. The vibe I'm getting is that if you or I were playing shortstop for them too, it would be like, yeah, it's Xander S because we're just both a member of the Boston Red Sox that play shortstop. I think that's where the comparisons end. I mean, to be honest, if I was out there and they called me Xander S only because I was playing shortstop, I'd find that hilarious because I'm <laughs> a completely different shade of human being, different size, different weight, and I'm also a different hand than, uh, <laughs> than, than Bogarts. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's, yeah. I'm just, who knows like, where the comparisons end? Like somebody went out there. I guarantee you, John Henry said, Hey, Cora, go out there and try to sell this so that we don't absolutely bomb on ticket sales. And that was the best he came up with in a in a no win situation. I think the pizza box was better for the ticket sales. I mean, the only way they're going to sell tickets is if they actually like give away pizza every time they steal a base. Which that would be pretty cool. Which pizza? Which pizza places would be fine with as long as Mondesi's not on the field, which it doesn't sound like he's going to be. So nothing to worry about then. Boston yeah, safe. Exactly. Boston pizzerias are in the clear. So that's just some news and notes that we had. So of course, once again, fantasyalarm.com. Get your access to the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball draft guide it is free tons of great content in there new content's coming out every single day use all that content leading up to your drafts or if you're just starting to get ready for some mlb dfs action it'll be it'll be all there for you so matt last week we talked about the the number one pick if there was a unanimous number one pick so if you haven't listened to that episode make sure you go check it out wherever you listen to your podcast but this week we're going to be talking about where is it best to be in drafts this year. So say you're doing a new startup or maybe your league does like TGFBI where you get to, I think it's the KDS, I think is what, I think yeah. it's the acronym the for Kentucky it. Kentucky Derby system. Yeah, the KDS. So you can do that and you can kind of pick where you where you want to be. So after talking about last week with, we were both in agreement that there's not really a true unanimous number one overall pick. Where do you think it's best to be in drafts this year, Matt? So if someone's starting a league, they get to pick where they want to be, or you know, maybe they can work themselves around the draft order. Heading into drafts this year, where are you kind of liking, if you've done any drafts, like teams that you've liked out of certain spots or plans that you have that work better from a certain part of the draft? Um, so this is an excellent question. Um, I'm saying basically anywhere, if you're in a 12, let's just base this off of 12-teamers. Because that's yeah. what most uh, leagues are. I'm going to say anywhere from like fifth on back is perfectly fine with me, to be honest. Um, I've grown to love picking towards the end of the first round in draft. So like the last three, four picks, and then you get to basically double up. I wouldn't say that I love being on the wheel per se. Um, but I'm also fine this year being in the middle because there's so much value you can find everywhere that I basically would rather just let people make picks and let the, let the draft fall to me. Like, I don't want to be, and that sounds weird. Like I would love to have Trey Turner, right? But in order to do that, I've got to have the top first or second pick. And then you're sitting there waiting like 20 something picks and that's, too long for me to have to wait in this year's draft but if i'm picking fifth on back i basically can finagle two first rounders out of my first two picks i would say 
Um, so that, that's kind of my view of it this year. Typically, in most years, especially leading up to this one, I wanted the ends of the draft. I didn't care if you put me at one, two, or three, or in this case, 10 or 11 or 12. I wanted the ends. That's where I felt like my teams were the best. That's where I like value, and I could go from there. This year, though, I'm not opposed to the middle. I think I, I still like the wheel. I still have an affinity for the wheel, um, more so in the back part of the of the draft for this year. But looking at it, we talked about it. Like Trey Turner's my guy at number one. If I'm picking early and I have that second pick, if I don't get Trey Turner, I don't want to have to choose between that next three or four guys that I have there. I'd almost rather be five and let it be made for me type thing because I'm fine with any of those five. So I'd almost, I almost think I want one or anywhere after like five, I think is where I pretty much settle in because two, three or four, I'm making a decision that I'm, it's just a guy that I'm either going to push up or who I believe in, or I don't really like that spot. Whereas if you're at the one, you're guaranteed your guy. No matter who it is, you're guaranteed. No one picks before you. You're safe. After five, if somebody else makes a bold move, maybe somebody you had in the top five drops to you, and later right. on as the first round goes, that's where value gets to. And you and who knows? What if it goes hitter heavy and you want to double tap starters like at the end? Getting that at 12-13 is beautiful. You know? And then when everyone has to account for you and go pitchers, that's when you can come back with your hitter. So I think I'm – I'm I am less opposed to the middle of drafts this year than I have been in recent years for sure because there's the first round is not as cut and dry as it usually is. There is value to be right. had. Like we like we said last week, as of last week, there were seven different guys who had gone number one overall, and then there was two guys who had a who had the best the highest pick being second. So that's nine guys who have either been picked first or second so far since January first. So if I'm picking anywhere in the middle on back, basically what I'm guaranteeing myself is getting at least a share of a guy who other people have thought have been worthy of the number one overall pick. Right? Mm-hmm. And then you just let it be who. Because I'm with you. Last week we basically said, in our opinion, that Trey Turner is the clear-cut number one to us. After that... Uh, we're splitting hairs on who and why and what position we're going after, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm fine going like five on back and just let other people make the decision and you just scoop up value where you spot it. Um, if If... I guess I'm fine with number one obviously I'm fine with number one because I get Trey Turner, but my thought on that is that I don't want to have to wait another 20-something picks for that much value to come back to me is my only problem with that trade-off. Yeah, and like if we look at it here, like we talk about ADP from January 1st to February 14th. So if we're just going to look, let's just do the top, do the top three picks per se. For each spot, just based on the ADP at, at uh, the NFBC. So, team one, Trey Turner, JT Real Muto, Michael Harris. I know mm-hmm. Michael Harris is one of my bus guys, but Turner Real Muto is not a bad start. Acuna, Goldschmidt, and Alcantara out of the two. I like that. Ramirez, Riley, DeGrom. Eh, okay. 
Judge, Devers, Diaz at four. Judge could easily go two in any of these drafts. You know what I mean? And like at this yeah. point, I'd rather him wait. But then like team five or that pick five, J-Rod, Mike Trout, Francisco Lindor, then they get, still get Rodon. So they're still getting an ace. So I'm good with that one. Team six, Kyle Tucker, Garrett Cole, Nolan Arenado, Justin Verlander. Yes, please. Otani, Alonzo, Altuve, and Cease. Okay. And then you just kind of like work your way through in that like the back half, like Team 11 gets Mookie Betts, Manny Machado, Brandon Woodruff, and Aaron Nola, and Luis Castillo. And this is just based off ADP. Looking at these teams, it's that middle to late that I've really fallen in love with. And again, right. Because you, you just get to stack value upon value upon value. Yes. And all of the guys we just mentioned are so close that if you screw it up and you and and you picked it, you'd be kicking yourself. But if you get the guy that just falls to you, then it's hard to be upset at whatever the outcome is, right? Like if if I pick second and I go with Acuna over Jose Ramirez or Judge or Tucker and Acuna gets injured and misses half a season, I'm like, dang it, I should have gone with those other guys then you're going to be pretty upset with yourself. But if you're picking fifth and you land on Kyle Tucker because the other five people took, you know, somebody reached a little bit and and went for Julio Rodriguez or Shohei Otani or even Bobby Witt or whatever, and you're like, cool, I got a guy who could go 30-30 and all I had to do was sit there and wait. That's fine with me, right? Like – the, the middle and then stacking the next two, three rounds just based on ADP, I think you wind up with a better all-around team in the middle of the draft than you do at the first pick. And, and I think you're right because, I mean, when you're looking at the ADP, like Turner goes one, that's who we are in agreement with. But, like, after that, Acuna, Ramirez, Judge, Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, I'm okay with waiting and just getting whoever comes to me if I'm at that sixth pick. Any one of those guys, I'm like fine if with. you're if you're in a twelve team league and you pick Turner, your next pick comes with the last pick of the second round, which would be pick twenty four, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then you're sitting there in Real Muto, okay, best catcher, but are you really gonna like? Now you've got the other thing to consider is, do you really want two Phillies to start your team? Like, you know, what not? Let's just say you take Real Muto. Okay, but am I in love with Michael Harris as the next guy off the board? No. Am I in love with Sandy Alcantara after we just said he's probably going to regress some? Not as my first pitcher. I mean, you have other choices, obviously, but like by that point, you've almost assuredly missed out on Cole and Burns and, you know, whatnot or you're gonna have to theoretically quote unquote reach for um a guy like carlos rodon or woodruff or you know it's just a weird spot to me it seems like okay great if austin riley slips great you can take him there and then the wheel but the problem is in the third round i feel like all of that is a little bit of a reach at that point Mm -hmm. or you're settling for a guy who shouldn't be that high. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the the interesting thing too just from looking at it 
when you look at some of the names and you're looking at how the draft goes, even just at ADP, it almost seems like the earlier you draft outside of one, it almost seems like you're pushing up earlier in the draft and you almost don't get your chances for value until later. Right. Whereas like later, like in the, like looking at this, like the last two guys getting picked in the first round just by ADP or Mookie Betts and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Could they easily be pushed up to eight, nine? Sure. I mean, Vlad's been drafted as high as two. Exactly. So like with, with the, with the vast disparity that we have seen so far in these drafts, you don't have to be the guy that pushes up. I don't get me wrong. If I have the third overall pick, I might push Kyle Tucker up to three because I can at the same point, I could do a draft a week later and get Kyle Tucker at seven because it seems like everybody's undervaluing him again. But you I mean, value is so value is going to be important this year because the lack of the clear cut, you know, it, like we talked about last episode in past seasons, the draft started at four or the draft started at five because everybody knew what the top X number of picks were going to be. I mean, to give you an idea, if you go all the way down through. Geez, I don't know. You got to go. You got to go for a while here in terms of um, I'm looking at min max picks and guys that are within one round of the min and max. There's only like five dudes in the entire draft right now who are within five picks or within one round of their min max, right? So, like, Trey Turner has a min pick of one and a max of seven. So the latest he's gone in the draft is seventh, which, by the way, kudos to you, sir, or ma'am, whoever got him at seven. Awesome job. Uh, Acuna has gone first or eight, or as far back as eighth. Jose Ramirez, first or as far back as eighth. Julio Rodriguez, first or as far back as ninth. Those are the only five dudes who are within a round of each other in min-max picks, right? Even Kyle Tucker, he's gone as high as second or as far back as 18th. Shohei Otani, he's gone either first or as far back as 24th, right? Like, that's wide open. That is massively wide open to the point where, like, Garrett Cole has gone as high as sixth and as low as 40. Like, there is a massive disparity showing up uh Josh Hader, who is by the way right now is 46th overall in ADP, has gone as high in, as 22nd and as low as 120th. There's a hundred pick difference between his min max, and he's 46th on ADP. Like it's insane how far apart Devin Williams is a hundred and twenty-five spot difference in in his min max, and he's just outside the top 60 in ADP. The disparity is real. Ryan Presley, Rizal Iglesias. So these are a lot of closers, and obviously that speaks to some of it is going to be if you're in a in a you know a league format that prioritizes closers versus ones where they basically count like you know most of us count closers. But still, like Aloy Jimenez has a 70 pick difference between min max. Okay. Like, these are all guys who are in the top 180 p, and they all have – George Springer has a 66-pick difference between min-max, and he's 75th in ADP. So there's value everywhere, but if you're picking first, it might take you several more rounds to find the value than if you're picking in the middle of the draft. 
Yep, I would agree on that. And to wrap up this week's episode over on Prize Picks, they are, or I should say, they have dropped a limited board of some MLB props for the season. So I was looking at them a couple and just seeing anything that jumped out to me. Wanted to get your opinion on these, Matt. Obviously, we'll be doing Prize Picks throughout the baseball season, I'm sure, just like we did last year. But one of the first ones that jumped off at me, or to me, Matt, I should say, is. Brandon Woodruff at 193 and a half strikeouts for the season. Woodruff had 211 in 2021, and then he had 190 in 26 fewer innings last year. So he was one start away last year to basically eclipsing this 193 and a half. Many of the popular projection sites like the bat have him at what has it at 196, ATC at 199, pretty much everything in the mid to upper. 190s this line seems a bit low to me but as of here on february 14th as we're recording this would you be interested in that over on woodruff 193 and a half strikeouts for the season uh yes what have we said about the cubs lineup they're gonna be fun but they're gonna strike out a ton right uh he's gonna face them a few times this year for sure um you know other lineups in that division aren't great aside from the cardinals and pittsburgh uh, this is why we've basically picked the cardinals as the the fairly consistent <laughs> winner of the nl central um i think some stuff has to go wrong for him not to hit the over here so i would be yeah i would be taking the over yeah that that line just like i said it just seemed low something, if it was, something was like off. 197 and a half i'd have to think about it yeah other 193 though sign me up and then the other one that i jumped that came out to me they have strikeouts and home runs that's all they have right now aaron judge is at 46 and a half your don was 39 and a half shohei otani at 34 and a half is appealing to an extent that one i'm kind of on the fence on but vladdy jr 39 and a half he had 48 back in 2021 now we only had 32 last year some different park adjustments there many of the projection systems don't have him getting to that 39 and a half so do you think vladdy can get to 40 home runs or do you think this is an opportunity to take the under because last year his launch angle tanked again so there came the ground balls and maybe the the dimensions in toronto if i'm not mistaken are going to be more advantageous for left-handed hitters than right-handed hitter. So do you think there's an opportunity for the under here, or do you think Vladdy's getting to 40? 40's a lot. Um, Especially with a 4.3-degree launch angle from last I season. Mean, yeah, that's not that's not great. You, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the, the dimensions changing in Toronto, but it's mainly right center field that's yep. being – changed and he's a righty and he doesn't exactly go oppo all that much he's never hit he's never hit oppo more than 24.6 percent of the time in a season according to batted ball metrics on fan graph. so he's mainly a pull guy and kind of center field guy but that's not really gonna have the, the fact that it's like basically softball dimensions in right center field isn't really gonna help Vladdy, so I would take the under on on the 39 and a half. I think the under might be the play, too. I think we're trying to ride a little momentum from the field adjustments. Yep, he's in a good division for ballparks. But Wait, we're... let's put it this way. If he hits 39 home runs, are you going to be sad 
if you drafted him in fantasy baseball if he hits 39 home runs? Are we assuming that the numbers from last year stay the same too? I mean, or are we, we going to say a drop in stolen bases? I don't think he gets to – well, maybe with the bigger pizza boxes for bases, <laughs> they can stay the same. Vladdy run into pizza boxes, is that what you're I saying? I mean, if he trades off a little bit of pop for a slightly higher batting average and he still gets – Let's say he's he's his average is more like 290 and the power is about 38 or 39 homers. So he's basically splitting the middle between 2021 and 2022. Are you going to be complaining? Absolutely. No. No, right? And he still didn't get to 40. So I that's that's a that's a big that's a big ask. Yeah, I would I take I think as of right now I think I'm going to take the under there as well cuz basically what we need to happen would be he would need the luck not necessarily the luck, but he would need that home run to fly ball rate to rival what it did in 2021, and he's got to hit less ground balls. You cannot hit 52 ground ball 52% of the time and be a 40 home run guy. It's going to be pretty darn hard to do that. And here's the thing. If the shift is going to help him, like banning the shift is going to help him, then maybe like what am I trying to say? Like Toronto doesn't need him to hit 48 home runs for them to be successful what they need to be successful is for him to start driving in more runs consistently and if that's producing line drives into the gaps okay or now maybe the shift helps him a little bit with some more ground balls being turned into hits then he gets on base and then they don't care about a home run you know, it, it's not like he needs a massive swing adjustment to be productive. And and that's what scares me off of him hitting 40, 40 bombs. I, I just think that's, that's a very big ask, uh, even for a guy as good as Vladita. Lofty, lofty number indeed. So... That'll put a bow on this week's episode. So give Matt a follow at the salesman on Twitter. I am at Colby R. Conway. And of course, head over to fantasyalarm.com and get your access to the completely free Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. Seasonal leagues, dynasty leagues, DFS content, positional spotlights. It is all there. And then soon enough, you'll also get not in the MLB draft guide, but you'll get all of Matt Sells' great other content in terms of the racing world, as I like to say, because I do not know anything about it. So make sure you get Matt a follow at the salesman so that you can be informed when it comes to the racing world time for all the great content there. And as we draw closer to pitchers and catchers reporting. So we will see you next week with the next edition of the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball podcast.